whereas Manchester, I sort of, I do get quite wound up. I get oh, quite right. like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be fine. It's very uh, loving audience. Yeah. I and I like just reading. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I cheerfully just stand and read my whole book. I, like when we did the audiobook, I really wanted to read it. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, no, your voice is really common. Um, wow. <laughs> not in those words, but you know, I basically got yeah. entirely the wrong Quest to get published with interviews and advice from some of the Northwest's leading authors. I am coming to you today from my home office in Ermston, Manchester, England. For those of you who have never been to Ermston or even heard of it, which is, I'm assuming, 90% of you, it's basically a, a small town within the greater Manchester area, and it's I don't know, what's the best way to say If you don't know what, where Manchester is, just think of, it's the place where the Smiths and Oasis are from. Today I talked to lecturer and novelist Beth Underdown about her debut novel, The Witchfinder's Sister. We chat extensively about masterses in creative writing, as uh, she has one herself, and she's a lecturer at the University of Manchester in their creative writing program. I won't ruin surprise, but she was published with uh, Penguin Random House via Viking as a direct result of her master's degree, which I think is the first time that's been brought up on the podcast. We've talked about uh, master's degrees in creative writing a number of times, but never really made the connection between that and getting published. Well, that happens today in this discussion. Uh, she's published because of her MA, which is quite encouraging, I suppose, for those of us who are actually taking them. I spoke to her in Christie's Bistro at the University of Manchester a couple weeks ago. Christie's Bistro is like, um, how do I describe it? You know that room in A Beautiful Mind where all the profs give those pens to Russell Crowe? That's basically what Christie's Bistro looks like. So when you are listening to this interview, just have that picture in your mind of us both sitting there at that table just before, you know, old white men put pens on our tables. That is not a euphemism. By the way, that you know that ceremony, that pen ceremony in the movie, total bullshit. Never happened. They made it up just for that movie. Sorry, ruined another thing for you. You get all the bistro-y sounds in the background in this interview. Most of the sound, background sound, is uh, comprised of, you know, charming coffee shop murmurings and fizzing machines. But at one point, a barista actually does some rather overexcited pounding on one of those coffee scoops. I think it happens a couple times. It sounds like he's chopping down a fucking tree. You know, you get through that, it'll be fine. There's some, I, I think there's a couple rattling trays that go by as well, which is slightly annoying. But for the most part, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It sounds nice. It sounds like we're out in the public enjoying life or something. I had to, because of this, the noise, I had to actually wear the headphones while I was interviewing her, which is why if you look closely at the photo of me and Beth, you can see this spiky hair that the headphones gave me in the photo. I look like I should be on Saved by the Bell or something. Yes, old man with his super cool modern reference points, eh? Next week, I'll tell you about how much my hat looks like TC from Magnum P.I. 
That's the kind of uh, quality jokes you get on this podcast. If you haven't read The Witchfinder's Sister, you should, because it's a, a really great book. It In the interview, I actually call it uh, A Handmaid's Tale with Witches. And I stand by that, actually. I think it's, it is very similar to Handmaid's Tale in a good way. Uh, we talk about that in quite a lot of detail, about the fact that she didn't see that at all. <laughs> and uh, as usual, when I ask authors whether uh, they were inspired by certain things, the answer is almost always no. When I read something in the book, and I think I'm very clever because I've made some sort of connection, I always ask the author about it, and they always say, no, it has nothing to do with that. And usually, I edit that stuff out of the podcast because it makes me look like a fool. But I leave it in this time just because Beth actually quite likes the comparison, I think, to Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale. She obviously takes lessons from Hilary Mantel. Uh, It's historical fiction. And so I suppose if you like Wolf Hall or Bring Up the Bodies, this book is well up your strata. There are some spoilers in this, but nothing so significant that it will ruin the book for you, I don't think. But if you do like to go into a book completely cold, well, you know, what are you doing listen to a podcast about it? Go read it. Uh, I did mention on Twitter that it should be, that we were going to be talking and this is the book you should read. So, you know, there you go. As I mentioned in the last podcast... I have actually finished writing my own novel, and this podcast, uh, up until this point, has been just basically, the intros have been just me doing exactly what I'm doing right now, talking bullshit. Uh, But from now on, you're going to get little bursts of my own publishing journey. I hate that word, journey. It's the worst. And I couldn't figure out what else I wanted to call it. I think I called it quest in the ident at the start which I hate as well because it sounds too hobbity. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to figure out a different word. Anyway, publishing update. Campaign to get published? I don't know. Anyway, as uh, regular listeners of this podcast will already know, I have submitted my own manuscript to the university as dissertation for my M.A., I'm not going to call it MA anymore. I'm going to call it Masters because Beth calls hers Masters and it just sounds better, doesn't it? It sounds less flippant. It sounds like it's worth something. I'm still awaiting my results that will come out in June. And despite the fact I have not received my marks for it yet, I have received my invitation to the graduation ceremony. So I don't know if that means anything, whether they just have to do that anyway, just in case I do pass, or if they know something I don't, and they're, it's a subtle hint that I have passed. Maybe they just do it with everyone who submits early. Uh, not Also, not a euphemism. But it means I have to start thinking about actual graduatory things. I feel like a bit of a knob being an over 40 person renting a cap and gown and going and sitting down and being called up and being handed a piece of paper. I don't know. It seems funny. It's weird. It seems like something that young people should do, but I don't care. I think I'm allowed because I've never received a degree before. So what the hell? I'm going to go and hopefully enjoy it and not feel too ridiculous. So far, all my essays, etc. have been over 70. 
Um, this very podcast received an 85. <laughs> so I'm on for a distinction. And if I don't get a distinction, I will probably kill myself. Publishing update. In this interview, I get yet another reality check when it comes to the world of publishing. In case you're not keeping score now, the things that I've learned, the pressing things I've learned, uh, I think for anybody who's deciding they want to write a novel and get it published is, even if you do get it published, the average yearly salary for a published novelist, and this is a published working novelist, is around £14,000 a year. And that includes J.K. Rowling skewing the results. So it certainly isn't a, so that's probably the most depressing bit of information. So that was in a previous podcast. Also, this has come up a number of times in the podcast, talking to published writers and novelists. Even if you do get a book published by a big publisher, in this case, Penguin, there is no guarantee you'll publish anything else. And uh, every time you send a book to a publisher, even if they've published a number of your books, it's like starting from scratch every time. So they're on the same level. In fact, they're on a lower level than you if you've not published yet because debut novelists, publishers like more than returning novelists. I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, so that's those are the things we've learned. We've, like you've been listening to all of them. Those are things I've learned in the last, I don't know, however many of these I've done, 30. And... Um, in this interview, I find out that not only does getting a big publishing uh, a contract with a big publishing company not guarantee you to publish later books, but it also doesn't guarantee that your books will get into all the bookshops. Uh, I talked to Beth actually mentions in this podcast that she goes around bookshops with her own book and uh, hands them out herself. She's published by Penguin. Anyway, there is a reason this podcast is called The End of All Things. I wish I was good at something that paid loads of money, like CEO of a multinational corporation or like a banker or something. I'll tell you one thing. Even if by some miracle my novel does get published, I am death-gripping my cushy little university job like a fat kid hanging onto a double-dipped ice cream cone. Is that offensive? Probably. Anyway, here's Beth. Listen. Ask me a random question and we'll just, you know. Yeah. Okay, do you want to start by talking about... This is your first novel, right? Yes. Debut novel. Yes. Penguin. Well, can we say Penguin? Yeah, it's you Viking. can say Penguin. It's like, it's like so with it... Very boring. Within yeah. Penguin Random House, like in the UK, there's two main, like fiction in prints that print like modern fiction as right. opposed to classics or any of that if you see what I mean so like yeah. modern fiction there's Viking and there's Michael Joseph okay. so they're, and they're both Penguin Random House right I got you, you. What I mean? so you can say Penguin and actually the people who work there seem to say Penguin like rather well, than Viking do, which think. Is it, but I think it's partly because like there's so many imprints there that like actually lots of them people don't really know what it is yeah, and stuff. Yeah. whereas like so one of the things that is quite nice when you visit in bookshops is to be able to kind of like go in and be like oh and I'm uh, you know because you kind of like want to kind of go and say hi and like you mm-hmm. hope that they'll stock it and stuff especially like ones in Essex yeah. and you go in and uh, and you sort of go, oh you know I'm an author and um, and I've got a novel coming out and I just wanted to kind of come and you know review a proof 
and you mm. see the fear, mm. the fear in their eyes, yeah. and then and then and then you can go and it says, "How how about the penguin yeah. in March?" And then like, the fear, oh, the fear yeah. recedes, yeah. the fear <laughs> recedes, and it's you know. So the the penguin word. This is the second time nice. I've been speaking to an author who said they take their own books to bookshops. Why does that, why does you know that happen? What? In one bookshop, which shall remain completely nameless, mm. they were total knobheads about it. So the person, so I went in and was just me and yeah. reasonably friendly and stuff, and you yeah. know, just there. And I try. I think one of the things, the only thing that I don't like about it is sometimes if you're going in they're having like a really busy spell and you don't want to be like in the way and mm-hmm. you do like so sometimes you can end up kind of stood there for a few minutes just feeling a bit spare yeah. and like browsing except that you're not really determinedly browsing because you're there of, you know as a for a professional purpose mm-hmm. so that's the only kind of slightly because I I don't want to be like somebody who is oblivious and just like wades in and takes up 10 minutes of the time when there's like customers stood there and stuff yep. if you see what I mean so that's the yeah. only, that's like generally the only downside but there's this uh, the one place where the bookseller was sort of like, oh, usually authors come round with their publicists. And uh, I was like, do they? Mm, right, mm. thanks. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think some of, there's one or two where like my publicists have happened to be with me and, and like comes in with me as well. But I find the concept of having a minder a bit weird. Mm. Like as if, do I need interpreting yeah. for the world? Or do, are they there to make sure that no but one's horrible to you. I don't understand I don't. why they can't get the books in these shops without you. Yeah, well, so I don't, I've not been around, like, with the actual hardback. Oh, I see, but okay. it was more, if I was in the area anyway, right. then, like, with the proofs, like, when it was at proof stage. Oh, I see, okay. And you go and, like, give them oh, right, proof, like, sense. this is out in a few months, okay. kind of thing, at the yeah. point that they're making their stocking decisions. Yeah. And I think they could just post it. But one, um, there's a lovely guy who owns um, the, a bookstore called Drake in Stockton on Tees, mm-hmm. um, where I dropped in. I had like a week away on my own over the year, which was amazing. And on mm-hmm. the way back, I like went to like a bunch of bookshops in Yorkshire, and his was one of them. And um, and he was really friendly, and I stayed for a brew. And he was like, and we were kind of talking about you know, like mm-hmm. the business and stuff. And he was like, do you want to see my proof cupboard? <laughs> well, he was like, I'm really glad you dropped by. Cause my that's proof a, cupboard. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, am I going to get murdered? But I, yeah. I, I thought there was a vibe already. It was fine. Yeah. Um, and he opened this door, and I'm not kidding, it was as high as a person. There was a stack of proofs as yeah. high as a person. And that was just what publishers had just posted. Really? So not sent with an author, but just posted. Yeah. So in theory, your publisher could and would, you know, post a bookshop your proof. Yeah. But it will end up in a proof cupboard gotcha. somewhere. So I think visiting, if you can, like, mm-hmm. try to worm your way in someone's subconscious, right. then that's probably a good thing. Jeez. I think ha- is the theory. Has it worked as far as, I know this is such a dry thing to ask, but has it worked as, as far as, like, sales are concerned? Well, Do you even so, know? I mean, the, it's very difficult to measure that mm-hmm. in some ways, but definitely one of the things, like, so... I mean, obviously, there's different ways of looking at sales, and like Amazon's one of them and mm-hmm. stuff. But like, and then they get their Nielsen Book Scan data, through, yep. which they don't send to me unadulterated, but they kind of like give me like little updates about it and yep. stuff. And one of the things I've noticed is that like, it's going, it's going really well through independence in general, and it's going really well, like noticeably better through Waterstones that I've visited compared to Waterstones really? that I haven't. Okay, so when you've done like book signings and things like that, yeah, or even just been to say hello with the proof, oh, like right. in the run-up, if Gosh. you see what I mean. So I think yeah. it does, affect, it does like yeah. the, like having a kind of you know, as long as you don't go and like throw pies at them all, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> it's it's nice to mm-hmm. like you know, and I think I wasn't. I think some 
particularly as you go even more like more commercial than me I think some people are literally determinedly sent to nearly every Waterstones in the country if you right. see what I mean that's not what happened for me it was more like I would say oh I'm going to a wedding in such a place right. is there anywhere you want me to drop in on on the way back right wow um, so, that's yeah, nice of you well, <laughs> I don't know but you have to do that yeah, now I don't funny, think you can just be like oh mm. it'll take care of itself yeah especially if you're kind of not you know maybe if you've had like a six-figure advance mm-hmm. and you're one of the books that they have to make work. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, then yeah. Maybe that will be different. But I think if you're somebody that's like maybe like certainly initially mid-list or whatever, mm-hmm. like you have to right. put effort in. I yeah, think. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's, it is still, it, you, you kind of have this feeling when you're kind of outside of that whole world that if Penguin, if a, like a monster uh, publisher like that grabs hold of your book, that it's everywhere immediately yeah I mean like I think I feel like I've been like dead lucky with that you Mm -hmm. know like certainly one of the kind of surreal things that's been happening is and actually you know I don't think this is like the main plank of sales at all or Mm. whatever but like friends have like keep keep posting it on my so I've got like an author Facebook page but I've still I've kept my personal Mm -hmm. personal and they keep but but still and I've tried to kind of limit the amount of book stuff that's Mm -hmm. on there because I don't want to be that person who's just like my book my book my book yeah 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 yeah. Um, but friends kind of keep taking a photo of it where they found it in airports. Oh, so yeah. like in like Kuala Lumpur Airport or like Cape Town Airport yeah. or whatever. And like they'll photograph it and like put it at like <laughs> spotted in Kuala Lumpur Airport oh, or whatever, yeah. you know, like stuff like that. And that is weird. Yeah. And that I think is probably a penguin thing. Like yeah. I would imagine that if my book had been picked up by like a smaller like literary publisher or whatever, like that's yeah. not what would have happened. Um, but I don't think that it... I don't know. I don't think Penguin translates to like instant success. Yeah. Necessarily, like, or I don't know. It, it, it's odd, and I've had to kind of think about it a lot. I think because what I definitely don't want is to just become the book that everybody feels like they ought to read, but kind of doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't see the point of selling something to somebody who doesn't want it. Yeah. I think what I want, and one of the reasons I was pleased that Penguin was able to. Like the, the penguin took me on, mm-hmm. um, is that I feel like it helps your chances of people who would like to read your book finding your book. Yep. Like it helps with your visibility, if yeah. you see what I mean. And yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I want to, that's how I want to think about it, sure. really, I suppose. How did it happen? Um, how did Penguin, uh, how did it, how was it that Penguin then? So it was, um, it was, um, so. My agent found me found me through the anthology. So I did the masters. The agent here. found you. Yeah. Wow, that's very good. So I, I did the creative writing masters here, mm-hmm. and at the end of it, every year, like it only just got going at the point that I did the masters actually. But like every year now, they still do it. Like mm-hmm. they put out an anthology of their work, and then um, yeah, and so that had obviously been sent out to like a bunch of agencies, and my agent found me through that, and like approached right. me. Short stories. Um. Mine was an extract of a novel. Oh, actually. I see. Yeah, so everybody had different things mm-hmm. in there. There was even there was poetry in there because at that point it was like everybody in the year mm. in the same thing. So, but I think agents, you know, I think some agencies kind of shark those things yeah. <laughs> slightly. Whereas, um, yeah, but interesting. Know, that, um, that 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 bodes well for me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because yeah. you're at MMU, aren't I you? am. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. about. I'm just finished mine, and it's just. Yeah. I, I'm just waiting for it to come back now, and I uh, have loads of notes. Hopefully, yeah. well, who knows? I don't know what I don't even know what to expect. It, Notes are good. Yeah, I hope I, I hope there are loads, and I'm sure there will be. Yeah. But as long as I don't fail, that's. I really don't think. I don't think fail. I will either. I'm pretty sure. Well, I won't fail, but 
because I, I, I'm, I'm well keen like, as far as the, going back to school as, a, as a, an older person. You really. You are quite old. I am. Well, 43. Are you 43? Yeah, see? Baby face. Baby face. I know. <laughs> that's very nice of you. Anyway, that's getting edited <laughs> out. Um, but they, uh, when you go back to university, I think you care about it a lot more because you're actually paying for it for yeah, a start. Absolutely. <coughs> like in my undergrad, I mean, I was kind of like pre top up fees, mm. if you see what I mean. So, like, I, I think. Maybe the cu- culturally being an undergrad was different then than it is mm-hmm. now anyway, yep. if mm-hmm. you see what I mean, because certainly there wasn't the sense that you've got to like really get your money's worth. Like, yeah. you know, like we, we weren't paying crazy amounts, but um, I just basically waitressed for three years. Mm-hmm. I had a great time. Yeah. I waitressed and I drank a lot, and that's yeah. what I did Brilliant. as an undergrad. But I like, I feel like I learned a lot, mm-hmm. you know, um, but just maybe not in the ways that I was there to, yeah. if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I worked for a couple of years. I went to London and worked in publishing. I worked for Fidon Press, which is like oh. art and cookery books. And so I was mm-hmm. actually the cookery books. Um, but I had kind of like a few years of like real workplace. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back to Manchester to do the Masters. Mm-hmm. And I took it so seriously. I, know. I took it so seriously. Because I think just those few years of like having a taste of just what a, like a normal day consists of. And then suddenly you're sort of like, whoa, I have this time, mm-hmm. and actually I'm supposed to be reading this book. I know. And it's, I think... Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I was... I, took, I mean, this podcast is a result of my MA. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm above 70 on everything that I've done Sweet. so far. So if I don't come away with a distinction... Yeah. There, it, it will be terrible. Yeah, because you're <laughs> expecting it now. Yeah. I, like, I was not above 70 on everything. I was kind of like, mm, you know, 60s, mid-60s, high-60s yeah. kind of thing. But then, like, I must have reasonably knocked it out on the ballpark on my well, dissertation, your, so I came out with it. Was The Witchfinder's Sister your MA It book? was. It was, but it was kind of... I'm not sure you would recognise it now. Right. Like, if you were to read yeah. the dissertation, because, like, it changed... I mean, I don't know, elements of the opening chapters are the same. You know, mm-hmm. there, there is stuff that's the same, but, like, those early chapters changed a lot. Right. Like, in the kind of interim. But, yeah, it was... Wow. That was when I started Well, that's that why project. you got a distinction, I think. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, do you want to talk about what, where the idea came from? Uh, I think you, you must have done loads of research. I'm, I'm always... I'm in awe of people who can write about things that happened 400 years ago. Yeah. Confidently, because the amount of research that must go into, and I guess the, the I guess the question is, how much of that is research and how much of it is stuff you just made up? Oh, and the answer is is just uh, it's completely a mixture, and I think mm-hmm. I, it's interesting because I think even I think it's maybe an act of like writing a historical novel, but also maybe now starting to teach. Right. I've really felt like I've thought a lot about, and I've felt like I've had to kind of almost generate a bit of my own philosophy mm-hmm. of like what do I care about in historical fiction like why am I writing it yeah. to what extent does it need to engage with fact mm-hmm. and to what extent is it defending its right to be fiction yeah. if you see what I mean mm-hmm. um, and, and that becomes quite relevant as well when you're doing events especially I found like um, events like where the book is set mm-hmm. um, because quite like sometimes you get people turning up to those who already know all that history if you see what I mean so a lot of what they want to talk to you about is the history yeah and like in a very gentle way but like once or twice I've had to be like 
you know, yeah, but it is fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you it know, is meant and, to and then be go on to say well. something else. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind of so because it's say, not because the language isn't very oldie worldy at all. No, and Thank actually, God. for me, one of the for me, Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall, Bring Up the Bodies, they were really influential for me in realizing mm-hmm. what you could do by simplifying the language rather than making it archaic mm-hmm. because actually if you read Wolf Hall I'm not sure a word sneaks in there that no. couldn't have been used in mm-hmm. like the 1530s or whatever mm. but it's got an old feel to it and mm-hmm. I think that's to do with cadence but actually what she uses are simple words if you see what I mean I don't know mm. um, so, so yeah so I think in terms of sort of like how I balanced up the two I think I had maybe an easier time than Hilary Mantel did um, because a, l- a relatively limited amount is known about Matthew Hopkins, who mm-hmm. is this guy who um, who like performed this witch hunt that killed like over a hundred people. Um, so my kind of what, my main kind of historical character, a relatively limited amount is known about him personally, which sort of helped because it means it meant for me that in terms of the family stuff, like the stuff with him and his sister. Mm-hmm that felt for me like a field on which I could be like, well, this bit is fictional, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. Yep. Um, and then in terms of kind of what's known about the witch hunts, it's kind of, I've tried to keep to kind of keep all that accurate, but that was, I mean, it did take research, but it was like relatively straightforward because it is known like, okay, on this date, he visited these villages, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. And so that task was maybe perhaps more one of selection and shaping because what you want is to, because it's fiction achieve a, a kind of escalation you know that may, yeah a story yeah exactly mm-hmm. you know that you know so if it was just day oh more witches yeah, yeah. more, more witches, witches today yeah yeah. Witches. yeah um so so there was that and i think so it was important to me to kind of like keep the stories of the women accurate mm-hmm. where i could and then beyond that i think the kind of way that i engage with history most naturally is to sort of try and get a feeling. So I did read a lot. But I don't know, I mean I mean and I do care whether events are plausible and mm-hmm. stuff, like whether they physically could have happened, but it's sort of like I don't feel the need to kinda of like include everything, if you see what I mean. But mm-hmm. what I wanted was the mood and actually it takes quite a lot of reading to get the mood. Do you know what I mean? So I was reading like Biggish political surveys of what, because you know, so one of the things, for instance, just to take like a small example, um, so it's the English Civil War, and one of the things that's happening at this time is like, so the king has been booted out of London, like a few years before, like 1642, he was booted out of London, and the palace sat empty, which is one of the things that I first found out when I was like reading about this period, and it really fascinated me. And like, basically, homeless people lived in the palace, hmm. like there's just this massive kind of luxurious place that was just inhabited by like whoever felt like like for a little while um so he so him and his army are sort of like well he was kind of like based in oxford but then there's these periods of the english civil war where the like multiple armies are kind of like moving around a lot Mm -hmm. um and one of the things so so the way that that affected my book um because i sort of didn't want alice to have a kind of preternatural political awareness Mm -hmm. if you see what i mean yeah yeah but at the same time, moments where those armies got quite near East Anglia or were like rumoured to be near East Anglia, which aren't necessarily the same thing, those would have been moments of panic. 
you know, and like the towns in, in, in that area, so like Colchester and Ipswich, just like lock the gates for like days on end right. if they like heard that the army might be coming that way. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, so it's kind of like thinking about things that maybe are quite big scale and political, but sort of trying to boil it down to how that would actually affect somebody living a relatively circumscribed kind of existence yeah. in, you know, a small town in Essex. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you ever think about, were you ever tempted to write it from Matthew's perspective? The witch finder rather than the witch finder's sister. It's not that I was never tempted. It's not that I never thought Do you think doing it from the the sister's perspective, that allows you to to take more liberties with the fiction? Because you're not actually doing it from the, the historical person that existed. No. No. Okay. Fine. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, I think I think both are taking a punt now. Mm, yeah. And, but but did, suppose, she, did she actually suppose, exist as well? Well, he had siblings, okay. and we know that three were boys, right. and two were unnamed in okay. his father's will. So it might be reasonable to think that they were girls. Okay. You see what I mean? Yes. So, but we, but she wasn't called Alice. Right. Oh, you know, we don't know that she was. Yeah. So, I think both are, are, are kind of a punt, but um, I suppose there is a sense for me in which doing it from Matthew's perspective would have been making an even bigger claim on knowing what his yeah. reasons were. Exactly. If you see what I mean. Which I think is like pretty far from straightforward. Yeah. So this allows um, you allows you to guess at it. Because it allows she, you you're guess. with guess. Right. It allows you to edge towards several possible reasons. It kind of leaves some room for doubt. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I mean I thought about I think I even tried a couple of chapters for, kind of from Matthew's perspective, but I'm not sure that I ever got a voice for him, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. Yep. Um, and how could you? Because, I mean, he's a he's a proper villain. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, I don't know, you know, in some ways, I think actually what helped was um, one of the books that I read when I was, like, very first kind of devising the project was We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm. And, like, I think being somebody who's looking at that person is more interesting in a way than being yeah. that person. I mean, the way that I've kind of, like, the kind of poncy way that I've tried to sort of like frame it when people ask me the question at like at events and stuff but you know but isn't entirely untrue is to sort of say that like actually what I and it, it is kind of genuinely true like what what I care about actually or one of the things that I care about in this book is complicity mm-hmm. and Matthew there will always be people like that do you know what I mean mm-hmm. And Do you actually, think he was complicit, though, rather than... No, no, I mean, in terms of Alice, and oh, that's I why, that's yeah, why yeah, Alice yeah. is okay. interesting gotcha. to me. Yeah. Um, and there will always be people like him, and I think to a certain extent you can't legislate for people like him. Like mm-hmm. They will always turn up, but actually what governs the direction a society takes is what everyone else does mm-hmm. in response to that, yeah. if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was talking to my American publicist, she loved that answer because mm-hmm. I'm like Trump and stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Zeitgeist. Yeah. But I, I really kind of wish it wasn't. Mm. Like, yeah, I, well, who doesn't? I'd, I'd take not being, yeah. <laughs> not having any zeitgeisty applicableness yeah. over, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things that was I thought was interesting about this book and it's I, is that clearly the whole witch hunt is kind of is just basically um, people who are suspicious of independent women or people women with uh, mental illness or yeah. women just women that are anybody unusual who are unusual yeah. and it, it, it's funny that um, that you have the, the, these imps 
basically. And you explain one of them away. I, sh- I don't know how much I, of this I can say without giving too much of the plot away. Oh, I won't worry. Okay, fine. You've given uh, it as homework anyway. That's if right. you've not read it, then you're bad. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. You should have read it because he's that's told right. you to. That's right, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've explained one of them away, but there are other imps that you don't actually say whether they're real or not. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because it, it, it's very easy to... Well, it just leaves it, it, it as a question whether, you know... Maybe they actually are witches. Yeah. I mean, I definitely kind of, when I was thinking about, like, the supernatural and stuff when I was starting the book, I definitely didn't want it to be a book... I didn't want it to be a book where, like... Mm. Where, like, oh, they actually are witches and they're hedge witches and everything's herbal, but they're super misunderstood. And, like... Because it feels... Not only has that been done and done and done, Mm -hmm. but it also feels too black and white for me. I wanted to acknowledge the fact that actually probably some of these women weren't that likeable yeah you know um they're, they're from various kind of problematic circumstances and probably their behavior wasn't always like super polite or whatever mm-hmm. you know they, they were probably difficult people to live alongside mm-hmm. and i didn't want to like gloss that because that's important like not everybody is easy to live with mm-hmm. um and in terms of kind of like whether the magical side is true or not I did get the sense kind of so like one of the things that um, the main kind of sort of bits of information that survives about um, about about these women is, is their confessions and in some of them in some of them I suppose you definitely get the sense that somebody has been pushed to the edge through sleeplessness and hunger and is just confessing because, mm-hmm. or to help their mother know, or to help somebody yeah, or help whatever somebody else, yeah. and then in some other cases you almost wonder is it almost like delusions of grandeur? Like they mm. actually think they can do this stuff, mm. if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, so, it's, so there's almost like an edge of that. But I think I also sort of, the way that I tried to deal with the supernatural in the book is to leave, like, not really have it there as a kind of pat thing, but to leave some room for it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I suppose I feel like there's room for it in all of us. Mm. Like, one of the kind of ways I've tried to explain it is like, you know, I like to think I'm fairly rational. I like to think that. Mm-hmm. But I pray like mad on aeroplanes. Mm. And I promise that to be <laughs> yeah. good forever and to yeah. do everything, and, yeah. you know, a- until the plane lands. Yeah. You know, and I think actually in some way or another, most people are like that. Like yeah. there's an edge of opportunity for like the supernatural to exist. And mm-hmm. and the imps, it's funny, it's funny nice you know that you ask about those because they like they were one of the things that kind of stood out to me at first and actually almost as a kind of challenge as a fiction writer to not make them hokey yeah you see what I mean yeah um but actually when you start to think of them as and it's interesting to me in terms of thinking about the early modern imagination it almost feels as though people's people having these failures of imagination because they Almost all the imps, they would say, well, it's like a greyhound, but not. Mm-hmm. It's like a rabbit, but mm-hmm. not. It's like a cat, but not. Yeah. And is that because they couldn't think of any... Like, is, is it shorthand for something? Is it because mm-hmm. they couldn't think of anything that wasn't like that? Is it because they lived lives that were so much alongside animals? Because yeah. like, lots of poorer people would like have their chickens in the house with them at night. Right. You see what I mean? Like, the chickens mm-hmm. didn't live yeah, in the yeah. coop outside because the fox would eat them. Yep. So, like, is it that people were living so much alongside animals that their imaginations were so kind of inhabited by them that mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of felt right as a way of mm-hmm. describing something. Yeah. But definitely, I suppose, also, I felt an edge of... I, I suppose I pick what, what manages to scare me slightly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things... Um, 
I hope like no one is able to like extensively psychoanalyze this, but like <laughs> one of the kind of types of scary dream I sometimes have is that I see someone that I know and it's their face, but it's not them. I know it's not them, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. And the idea of kind of like seeing an animal and it looks like an animal, but you know it's not mm-hmm. that animal. Like that kind yeah. of, for me, was like, oh, actually, that kind of scares me, so I'm going to put it in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, so, totally. Yeah, so Oof. it's kind of like a mix of things. Yeah. That was a long ramble. Yeah, it was good. Um, I, I enjoy that sort of business, like leaving it up to the reader, really. Um, do you think that there were ever, like, proper witches, like Standing Over Cauldron, Eye of Newt, or is it just, or is it really or do you think that it really is just it was just people going after odd women well i mean genuinely i mean and i i think actually i've sort of like tried to play this down because as i said before i think it's very done mm-hmm. but i think women did use extensive weird herbal remedies mm-hmm. for things you know so um and it was really interesting kind of like researching kind of 17th century domesticity and stuff because things that sound really quite odd mm-hmm. were very normal household recipes. So, like, for gout, you know, you might have, like, well, yeah, you have got to, like, mix some cowpat mm-hmm. with some berries and some... Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. It, 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 it just, just hoping for the best, really. Yeah, there's nothing sound, else. Yeah, yeah. there's like, there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. So that and bleeding and purging, like, mm-hmm. those, were the, you know, those were the options. So yeah. the, I, th- I suppose women were using herbal recipes to do this, mm-hmm. that, and the other. So yep. in terms of the kind of eye of new, like a toad thing, yeah. you know, maybe that's like part of the root of it. But I think, I think, I suppose, hugely that it was about people going after women who were unusual. It was also, you know, and again, what I've had to do, what I felt I had to do with religion in terms of kind of narrativizing this for a modern reader, I felt as though I had to sort of slightly play down the religious element. Because I think in reality religion was completely central to these people's lives in a way that, like, as modern and often secular mm-hmm. people, like, as we yeah. are. I think um, it comes through in the book. I think you, yeah. you can tell. Like, the, it, it, everything is based around people going to church or, or not going to church, yeah. especially. But I think it's quite hard to relate to. So maybe, like, I've tried to kind of maybe, particularly I've included, like, the social element of religion, so that sense of inclusion, like, whether you go to church or not. Mm-hmm. But... The idea, I think for us, it's very difficult to access a worldview that is entirely focused around God and salvation <laughs> and whether you're going to heaven or whether you're not. And like, yeah. like it's such a different conception of life, yeah. you know, compared to like, say, me, who like, I think you die and that's it. Yeah. You know, that, it's so different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was a bit of that and, you know, uh, like English Civil War, like there's this huge kind of anxiety about Catholicism, like especially in East Anglia where it's like... Yeah, rightfully so. Kind of and, you know, and that kind of lasts even in sort of in terms of, like, how we talk about, like, witchcraft now. So, you know, like, I don't even know already, but, like, you know Hocus Pocus? Yes, that yeah. was one of my questions. Yeah. yeah, so, like, that's from the Catholic Mass, like, yeah. from Hoc Est Corpus. So mm-hmm. I think a huge bit of it was probably, like, Catholic anxiety as well. Yep. Histor- like, there were some kind of, like, Catholics historically in this bit of East Anglia. So I do, like, I suppose one one more possible reason why somebody might have yeah. been gone after is that they were from a family that was historically Right. Catholic. Very yeah. interesting. Um, the other thing that I, I found interesting about it is that it wasn't all women that they went after. There was a single man who, like, a minister in the book. Yep. Who was, who, who, well, they didn't actually say he was a witch for a start. Yeah. Well, so he was executed. Okay, so this is a real person. This, yeah. This minister, okay. Yeah, he was a minister. Right. 
And I've included it in the book. He's the minister, I think, of Brandiston, which is a place in Suffolk. And I have included it in the book, but I... So if you see the movie Witchfinder General, mm-hmm. he gets a lot of airtime in that, him and his daughter, who is, like, attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and... I suppose I felt, I kind of having watched the Witchfinder General, I mean, I know it's kind of like just daft, isn't it? It's not mm-hmm. meant to be like super serious, but I suppose I sort of thought like, a hundred women died. Mm-hmm. And 40 minutes of this film is it's like the one guy. a dude story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a little bit sort of like, oh, I get why they made that narrative choice because it feels almost maybe like the fact that he was a minister, I suppose, mm-hmm. particularly feels like the furthest extension of this weird it turned upside downness that was yeah. happening. If you see what I mean, like yeah. the fact that a minister could be killed. So I get why they've used it. It is mm-hmm. useful from a narrative point yeah. of view, but I wanted to kind of minimise just because... And you can feel that in your book because uh, it's really the only time the villagers kind of revolt yeah. against Matthew. And another place he shows up, they're there pushing the women at him, going, yeah. oh, take her, she's a yeah. witch. Writer. When is the minister, he's, he gets attacked, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and that kind of happened with, with the book on where he would have been on his, kind of, on his journey. That happened to accord with the moment when I wanted to kind of hint at the start of some backlash as well. Yeah, you see what I mean? so, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely. Um, I also think the grimness of it, I think it's handled very well in this book in that it's not... Uh, the blood and guts bit. I mean, of this era, I mean, your whole life is blood, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Everything, every living minute. You, th- you just think about back then that it must have been terrible. But yeah. I think you, you kind of you nip in and out of that. It, it could have been easy to just kind of make the whole book really quite grim, I think. Yeah, and I think I haven't gone as far as maybe some other historical fiction writers yeah. go in terms of, like smells yeah but I think because, because <laughs> exactly but I think because you you don't when you do it really hits you like a, a sledgehammer really mm. I think I, I just the bit where he, when he steps on her foot when Matthew steps on yeah. her foot and crushes it basically I and, saw a guy's um, one of the boys in my high school had his foot run over by the school bus and oh, I saw it happen oh so. god and you said, yeah, so <laughs> that wasn't fun no <laughs> the unpleasant slush of blood in her foot <laughs> like, I mean, that, that was the, and there's, I mean, that's it's that's oh. such a minor little bit, but I mean, that was properly. Yeah, I think definitely, like with stuff like that, I would rather try and find the right words and for them to be few words, yep. and then leave it at that because the reader yep. does the rest of the work. Do you yep, know what I mean? Definitely, like, you yeah. Can find the right you know, Yeah, I don't know. And especially like all the when they're doing the witch trials as well, when they're actually prodding them with needles. Mm. Um, you know, that could have you could have really launched into that if you, yeah. if you wanted to, but it, yeah, yeah. But you know, people might be reading it after their lunches and all sorts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you don't want it to be. It's it's not a horror novel either. No, so I wanted, it, and I, I suppose part of what not like made it easy for me, but like an advantage for me in being able to do that was that it is first person, so it's mm-hmm. through Alice's perspective. So it, I was able, I suppose, to try to stick to things that would be remarkable to her. Yeah. So things like the fact that everywhere would have just smelled of shit most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she wouldn't have commented on that because that's. She doesn't know anything else. No, exactly. Yeah, 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 of course. Whereas I suppose if you go in third... Shit, you're lucky. Yeah, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lovely shit. Yeah. Um, Whereas, like, if you go in third person, then I suppose then it depends on what your POV is. Yeah. And I think if you you run the risk that way of of falling in love with world building as well, Yeah. which Which no one loves. Yeah, which, you know, I don't know, which readers don't love, but writers do, and that's the problem. So, yeah, yeah, it would have been... 
Yeah, I hope I didn't do that. No, not at all. Not, I, um, absolutely not at all. I think it's, the one thing about this book, and I, I confess that, it's not usually my sort of thing. Yeah. Historical fiction. When you said like, do you want to come on and do this? I was like, oh, you're gonna really hate it, but mm. okay. No, so, but it's it's so really it's it's seriously readable. Um, it's a page turner. Yeah. Well, it, do you take that as a slight? When I okay. no, that's what I wanted. Yeah. Like I want people to want to read it. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. I think. Well, oh. you, I, I mean, I got it. I think two days before or three days before we we did this interview, and I was gonna postpone it, thinking, oh, I'm not gonna be able to read it, but I just absolutely blazed through it. So. I, I was going to mention that it's a page turner, but then I thought, you know, some people kind of no, don't like that. I know, t- and that's, that's fine by me. Good. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, I also think, and I always leave this sort of thing till the end in case it offends the author, but I, I can't see how it will um, when I compare it to... I really got a, like a Handmaid's Tale compare feeling of from nice. it. Nice. I haven't that had that before. Okay. Yes. So I wasn't sure if I was going to say that because I don't know if it's like... You know, I, you never want to say someone's book sounds like it feels like another. But I really, I thought there was a lot of comparisons between Offred in a hands, in the Handmaid's Tale and Alice, yeah. um, you where they kind. I've said it yeah. in terms of like I don't mean like oh my god, like like my writing is like upwards or whatever, mm. or as good as upwards. But now you say it, personality-wise, I'm yeah. not sure Offred and Alice is no, too different. They're you not. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I see totally, because I mean they both have, uh, they're they are trapped in a house. Mm-hmm basically, and um, being made to do things that they don't want to do. And, and, and even at the end, like it's, there's quite a, a few uh, yeah. kind of uh, waypoints in between yeah. them. And they're also, I suppose, kind of fairly reserved, fairly contained people, surrounded by, by people who are less reserved and less contained, yeah. if you see what I mean. And they, they also of... know how the, they're survivors. Yeah. They know how to play the game in order not to... Um, to be killed, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah, they're survivors, but that reaches its limit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I did look this up, but I can't remember the actual town you're from. It is Rock around Shell. here, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, north, e- northeast Manchester. Okay, yeah. so you grew up... Is, have you ever been tempted to go to London? Well, I did. I lived in London two years after uni. Okay. And worked for Pride and Press. Yeah. And that's when I was doing my But box. why did you come back? I found myself walking around in parks a lot in the middle of the night. Like, I need green space, and mm-hmm. that's not a very safe thing to do. Don't do that, kids, yeah. at home. Um, in London. In London. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just got to a point where I was like, I don't know, I think it's very difficult maybe to admit as a young person, or I found it quite difficult to admit that you're a country mouse, mm. <laughs> if you see what I mean. And now, like, I live in a small town on the edge of the Peak District, mm-hmm. and... I'm probably genuinely the only person there who hasn't got a baby or yeah. who isn't retired. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to my like, world. <laughs> but like, that's all right with me, mm-hmm. you know, because I know now that's what I need. But I think maybe it took me, I need. I think it was something I needed to try. Mm-hmm. I needed to sort of cut my teeth. And I think it was very good for me. Um, I learned a lot. And actually, I learned a lot about like publishing and stuff that mm-hmm. has served me well now, if yeah. you see what I mean. But mm-hmm. um, I came back because, but, the, but I suppose... Why did I come back to Manchester was I knew I wanted to give my writing some time. I knew I wanted some input from other people, so I quite quickly thought a master's is probably what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way I could afford to do it was by moving back in with my sainted mum and dad. <laughs> so that's what I did. Right. So that's why Manchester, because they still yep. still live here. So so how did you... Uh, so you're a lecturer at the University of Manchester yeah, as well. I am how did now. that come about? So the job came up in like... 
do you know something? Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, oh, I could apply. I won't get it though. <laughs> so you, you um, actually applied bef- this, because it's your first novel. You hadn't published a novel by that yeah. point. Wow. But it, but it had been, so I'd been properly signed gotcha. by Penguin. Oh, and I the see. publication date had been announced. Mm. So like. Well, Manchester Uni likes that, don't they? No, barring. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Sorry, scratch <laughs> that. I can't say that. I can't say that. Um, but barring the warehouse burning down or whatever, like they knew I was bringing a book out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there was a lot of faith involved as well. Mm. Um, although obviously I suppose they knew me a bit, like because mm-hmm. I was around the department for a while yep. and stuff. And um, yeah, you know, and I'd kind of, I'd got some other kind of experience that was sort of like relevant in a kind of slightly odd way. Like I worked for AQA, which is an exam board. Oh yeah, yeah. Like GCSEs and A-levels and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I worked on sort of like um, exams really mm-hmm. for like a few years kind of right. while I was doing the masters mm-hmm. um, so it's not like unrelated mm-hmm. to teaching if you see yeah, yeah, yeah. you know there's the kind of bits and bobs there um, and I started a writing group where I live mm-hmm. which is still going oh run yeah by, run by one of my first pupils oh wow yeah. right um, so who's done the masters at MMU I see right um, so yeah so I'd done some teaching but yeah definitely at the same time this was like a bit of a step up yeah. in terms of what's expected and stuff but yeah. I really like it though and I think it's good for with writers and teaching a little bit is like you either want to do it or you don't mm-hmm. you're either like the kind of writer that wants to teach or you're yeah. not if you see what I mean and I always knew that I was because I'm noisy and I don't really like being <laughs> in a room on my own yeah like that bit is kind of I have to get through that bit yeah. to the point where I can talk to people again yeah um, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you had uh, one piece of advice for a new writer what would it be? Ah, uh, one. Okay, you take as many as you want. Okay. Well, so okay. Because you, I think you're very well placed. Because you've just had your novel uh, published. You were an MA, a lecturer in MA in creative writing. Yeah. If anyone would know, it would be you. Yeah. Okay. So, well, there's a co- like a couple of kind of maybe I guess pragmatic things, mm-hmm. um, and one of them is. It's like, and everyone says it, and it's boring and it's awful, but like to try and treat it like a job. Mm. Like to try to just sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. You've just got to sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think a big decider between who ends up publishing and who doesn't is are you able to sit, like, just sit down and do it? Yeah. Um, because, you know, they don't write themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's easy, I think, to become too anxious to begin and too anxious to actually yep. get enough on paper. Yeah. So maybe that's one thing. And I think maybe also having been through a number of systems now, including having been through a master's, mm-hmm. having been through kind of working with an agent and an ed- editor, I think trying to get the balance right between listening, mm-hmm. which is hard to do, um, and at the same time... Knowing when it's bullshit. Knowing when it's bullshit is like really important. Mm-hmm. And, the, and recognising that even your heroes will sometimes say things that aren't right for you you know so kind of finding the middle of yourself for that Mm -hmm. stuff is is really important Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah I think in terms of I suppose if I had to like say one one piece of advice um, and I think actually it's interesting because the the stage at which I see a lot of people's work I suppose is a very particular stage Mm -hmm. but I think that one thing I would say is try to always think about character like character and motivation and what your characters would do mm-hmm. 
why are they doing what they're doing? It sounds like really basic, but I think quite often, particularly very bright people, can get very caught up in theme. Mm-hmm. And theme is important, and it's and it's good to have theme there. Mm-hmm. But theme is not why people read it. People read it, mm-hmm. and it's almost sad. That's mm-hmm. almost sad. You know, like I I I, I get that, but it's mm-hmm. still true. Yeah. And certainly, when you start to approach the industry. Mm-hmm. If then if you if you don't feel your characters and you don't feel the motivation, you know, and, and not least, you know, an agent will take you on, an editor will take you on and work with you mm-hmm. on some of the other stuff. Yep. You know, like even kind of like refining language or whatever, they'll put up with a lot of roughness. I think if the character voice, the motivation are there, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so maybe that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what are you, are you writing anything now? I've started book two. Ooh. Oh, book two. Is it um, like as, when you say book two, you don't mean the second part of this? No, because okay. that I think is going it's to be like three or four. Really? I think so. I think wow, so. really? Yeah. This is this is going to carry this this well, story is going to carry. In the most, yeah, there'll be like a link, but okay. it may not be. Ah, very exciting. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so what are you writing now then? So I'm writing. It's a different period of history which has been quite like liberating because um, just, just to kind of have a change, I just wanted a change. Um, so it's um, late 1890s, um, so quite a lot later in history, and it's kind of, oh, what is it? It's sort of like, I mean, it's still taking shape, but it's sort of like a bit of a kind of gothic ghost story, quite a lot about love and friendship as well. Um, because I wanted to write about those things, mm-hmm. like write more about those things. Yeah. Um, because I'm aware that, you know, I've done my best to sort of, like, vary tone and stuff. But, you know, like, the, the first book, it's quite a dark book, you know. Mm. And whereas I, I, I'd like to have some, like, light and shade, you know, yep. in the second one. And, um, yeah, and it's sort of... And it's kind of, like, engaged with the whodunit structure. Because I teach... So one this, of the courses right. I teach is, just like, we do, like, a couple of weeks on detective fiction. Crime fiction. And I love detective fiction. Yeah, detective So I kind of, like, wanted to sort of, like, have a little mess with that, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you said that you want this one to be less dark, Not like but it's a gothic dark. ghost it's story. St- <laughs> it's still dark, but I wanted yeah. to have like I suppose. So I suppose in the book, like Alice, the mate, my protagonist, the first mm-hmm. book, um, you know, has lost her husband, and I feel as though there's some kind of like quite tender moments that are to do with that. But mm-hmm. I wanted more love yeah. in the second one because sure. that interests me. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's almost none in yeah, this one, exactly, is there? In, exactly. in fact, there's there's a distinct absence of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't be difficult to have more mm. love. Um, yeah. But yeah, Gothic Ghost Story, so yeah. No. Oh. Not, not that light. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Great. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. She's lovely, right? In the podcast, we talked about her appearance at Bad Language in Manchester, which is a, a really great uh, reading night. It's come up on the podcast a couple of times, and I've interviewed the guys that run it, uh, Fat Roland and Joe Daly. But um, I had to edit it out because that reading has already passed. If you want to see Beth read from her novel, I suspect you'll have ample opportunity. I am... Um, a true professional would probably have found out her upcoming events for you, but hey, you know how Google works. Use it. Next up on the podcast is Gregory Normanton, another M- uh, Masters in Creative Writing lecturer, this time at Manchester Met University, rather than University of Manchester, that Beth's at, which means, yes, he was one of my actual lecturers. He has a collection of short stories 
coming out with Comma Press called The Ghost Who Bled. And he's got a novel that's coming out with Fourth Estate later in the year. So, surprise to no one, in addition to talking about, you know, our relationship and how he's helped my writing. In fact, did we even talk about that? I'm not sure we did. Scratch that. We talk about his book quite a lot, and uh, Doctor Who. Quite a lot about Doctor Who. Um, I've got a new brand manager from this podcast, and he tells me to keep the interviews on target and to try to keep them when they go off target to bring them back into the writing. But I, I think there's a couple bits of that one where we just we just talk about Doctor Who for ages because he loves Doctor Who. I fucking hate Doctor Who. Anyway, I'm going look at look. I'm going off on a tangent now. He is a lovely man, Gregory Normanton. Uh, despite being easily the poshest person who's been on this podcast, but uh, his politics are well and truly in the right place. Uh, so we get along famously, and his book, uh, the short story collection that I've read, is great. But his novel sounds especially good, and he talks about that. It's, it's mind-blowing. But yes, so that will probably come out in near the end of May, in a, say three weeks, depending on my schedule. And uh, that's it. Talk to you again in a few weeks. Come on, Oilers. Bye. <laughs>